Good morning and welcome to Vertical Church Online. I'm so glad you're here with us. Come inside as we see how faith gives God the firsts. to clap. This is a good day. Yeah, it's an exciting time. God's going to speak to us today. If you're like me, you've come today not just to worship. We've done that and we're going to keep doing that. You've come to hear from God today. Amen. You've come to be changed today. You've come to surrender more of your life to him today. You've come to build up your faith today. Amen. That's what we've gathered here for, to be built up in our faith, to see life differently than we've been seeing it, to see more of life from God's perspective, to think like he thinks, do what he says, and walk in his ways. This is what we do. We are building ourselves up in our identity. We are the church of the living God. We are the called out ones. We are the city set on a hill. We are the light of the world. We are the ambassadors who have been sent out. We have the truth. We have the message. We don't apologize for that. We are the answer to life's questions, problems, sins, guilt, shame. We have that in Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't have to be ashamed of that. We don't have to apologize for that. We should stand bold in that we have been given the answer, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're here to remind ourselves of those things. We're here to remind ourselves that we have redemption in him. Our life can be and is redeemed in him. What has happened in the past does not have to dictate your future. There is forgiveness in him, the removal of all guilt and shame. There is favor. There is a place of blessing. There is transformation. There is peace with God. There's an inheritance that is ours. There is intimacy with him that he longs for us to experience. There is direction. There is a seat for us now at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. Amen. These are all ours. These are all, all ours now. And these are what we are here to remind ourselves of because we've come here to put first things first. We've come here to put life into perspective, into the order that God has for us. And we believe all of these truths by faith, by a gift that God gives us to believe. 
And that gift is faith. The choice to accept what God says in spite of my circumstances, in spite of my feelings, in spite of my own logic, in spite of what other people are saying. In fact, the more my situation looks hopeless, I believe in the one who's given me hope. And faith gives me that. I choose to see life by faith. Faith is what I choose to walk in regardless of my circumstances. Faith is what I choose to believe in spite of what seems to be pressing in on the moment. And the scripture makes it clear that God is looking for those who will trust him with complete faith. Old Testament, 2 Chronicles. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for those whose heart is faithful to him, full of faith toward him, that in them he may show himself strong. He's looking this morning. He's looking throughout the earth. He's looking throughout this room for those who will see by faith, for those who will believe, those who will trust what he says, not what you feel, who will trust what he says, not what others say, who will trust what he says in spite of what logic says. And he rushes in. He rushes to those who have that kind of faith so that he can show himself strong. This kind of faith is what the apostle Paul in the New Testament had, who went through trials and struggles because, hear me, faith does not remove you from all the struggles, but it brings God into the struggle. It helps you see him in the struggle. So the apostle Paul would say, look, I may be hard-pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. I may be perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I may be persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I may be struck down, but I'm not destroyed. I may be misunderstood, but I know the God who knows me. I may be rejected here, but I know who has accepted me there. I may be in need now, but I have a full inheritance in Jesus Christ. I may sit in the middle of a crisis, but I'm also seated in heavenly places. I may not look like very much now, but I have been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And those are things we choose to believe by faith. Because sometimes, emotionally, I don't feel all of those things. Have you ever woken up on a Tuesday morning, a Sunday morning, from a Saturday afternoon nap, And all of a sudden, you don't feel so righteous, feel so accepted, feel so blessed. Hello, anybody? Yes? Okay, five of you and me. All right, great. That's awesome. I don't rest in how I feel. I rest in what God says. This is a process of faith. I don't rest in what my own logic tells me. I don't rest in the moment. I rest in what God says. And he has said a lot about me. 
He has said a lot about you, and he has said it all through his son, Jesus Christ. He gave his son who bore your sin and removed it once and for all from you when you believe by faith. Amen? That's an act of faith. Because sometimes I can get up and I can feel all of my sins come up from the past, and I have to realize they have been buried down and removed away from me. Amen? That's a faith statement. That's a faith step. Faith tells me that Jesus took what I deserved so that I could receive what he deserved. He took my condemnation, and when I believe, he says I can have his righteousness. That's a complete faith statement because I haven't earned it, deserved it. Amen? Through faith, I believe I'm forgiven, I'm free, and I'm blessed. Through faith, I believe that I've been set free from the powers of darkness. Through faith, I believe that my life is redeemed. Through faith, I believe that there's nothing that can come into my life that has not come through his hand. These are faith statements. Through faith, I believe that he is the head of the church, that he is the one who is alive from the grave, that he is the one who has conquered the grave, defeated the enemy, and will one day silence death itself. By faith, I believe my soul is secure in him, and I will one day see him face to face. Those are faith statements. And the Bible says in Colossians that Jesus did all of those things for one specific reason, that in him all of these things would find their completion and that in all things he might have the preeminence that in all things, in heaven and on earth, all things, all things in your life and my life, that in all things he might have the preeminence, the first place, because he is worthy. He is deserving. He has conquered. He is above. And so in all things he can have the first place. Amen? This is a process of belief. And God has given us, I'm so grateful, he's given us tangible ways to put him in that first place, in that place where he reigns supreme. This is not just theory. This is not just principled talk. This is not just a TED talk on YouTube. There is a difference. We are speaking the eternal truth from Scripture today, empowered by the Spirit of God, driven by the Son of God. And he is the one who has the first place. And he's given us some tangible ways to make that happen. It started in the very early pages of Scripture, and it continues throughout all of time and eternity. God established a way for those who believe him, trust him, to keep him in the first place. So in the early pages of scripture, it started off with a statement that's very tangible, very much something that they could feel, touch, and know. Something very now, something very practical, something of great impact. In the book of Exodus 23, it says the first Of the first fruits of the land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. 
God established a very tangible practice for his people. He said, when you have new things come into your life, the first fruits of your produce, the first fruits of your land, whatever it might be, when it comes into your possession, the first of the first fruits are to be brought to the Lord. The first always belongs to God. And God gave them this very tangible way, this very practical way of remembering he is to have the first place. Because it's easy to forget that sometimes. It's easy to let the crisis and the urgent take over the important. It's easy to let the moment be taken over by what you think in the moment instead of what he says is most imminent and preeminent that is supposed to be first. And so God established in that Exodus verse, and he would later establish in the law as they established the tabernacle and the offerings for sin, the priesthood, and what would be the center of their community, the tabernacle itself, the place of worship and sacrifice. God would establish a law that said, when you have first fruits, the first of those are to be brought to the Lord. They belong to him. That is your tangible way of saying, God, everything in my life, I consider with you first. And so I'm going to give what is the most tangible thing I have, what has come into my hands, I bring the first to you. Not the last, not the weakest, not the worst, not the if I have time, not the if I can get around to it, but the absolute first of what comes in is to be brought to the Lord. Now, as he establishes this throughout the Old Testament, it becomes a word that you and I are familiar with today. It's the word tithe. It represents a 10%, the first of all your increase. Now, I'm going to beg you this morning to stay with me in what I'm saying. I know by the fact that I've already used the word tithe, your mind has gone somewhere. <laughs> and I'm going to challenge you in your thoughts and where you've been all morning because God has something much bigger in mind than just money when he established a tithe. Amen? So stay with me today. I think we might go some places we may not have been before. God established a tithe, a way to, for the people to bring the first part of their lives to him. When he established this community of faith, when they traveled as a nation, at the center of their encampments was the tabernacle, the holy place of God. It was not something that was to be run and impacted by profit, in other words, financial sales. It was to be funded and provided for by the free will gifts of the people to it. And by giving the first of their first fruits, they provided for 
the facility, the tabernacle. They provided for the ministry that took place within it, all of those who were a part of it. It provided for that being the centerpiece of their lives. It was a way of saying, God, you are first in all things. We bring the first of our first fruits so that you might have the first of everything in our lives. We will hear you. We will listen to you. We will make it our goal to be intimate and close with you, to watch for you, hear from you, make you the one who provides our direction. You are the one who gives us our hope. And every time they brought the first of the first fruits, it was that reminder. It wasn't so much about the first first fruit, the thing, as much as it was their heart. This 10% came, and it was a way of establishing that God was first. Now, as you walk on through the Old Testament, there would be plenty of passages that would deal with this idea of the tithe, this idea of giving a tenth of your income, this idea of putting God first. I want to illustrate that to you today with what all of you are already thinking. I thought I'd just go ahead and be so bold with it. Money. Let's just talk about it. Let's just do this thing. Right here are $500, literally, $501 bills. So let's just imagine you received this this week. This was something that came to you. It'd be awesome, right? And as this came to you, as a child of God, as a man or woman of faith, you would remember what you were commanded to do to give the first of your first fruits to God, to bring it to him, a tenth. So let's just see what that looks like. There's $500 here. I have them in stacks of 50, so that makes there be 10. How convenient. Ten, 10 stacks of 50. So this came to me. God, what do I do? He says, well, the tenth, the first of the first fruits belong to me. So in obedience, what I would do is I would take the first part before I did anything else. I would take the first of the first fruits that came to me and say, God, here's 50 of the 500 and I give that to you, Lord. That is now yours. I bring it to you. The rest you have given me. Look how gracious God is. He gave you 90%. He could have taken it all. 10% is all he said to bring to me. But it's very specific. He said bring the, the first fruits. The first of the first fruits. He didn't say, well, you got 500. Figure out what you want to do with it. And if I can squeeze some room in there, if you can make some time for me, if you can find a way in your heart, if you just happen to have some left over, then maybe, maybe you can give it to me. No, God didn't downplay his word. The first of the first fruits belonged to him. 
He didn't say, pay all your other bills, see what you got left, and maybe if you're feeling generous, maybe you could even just take a small percentage. Maybe you could just take $1, maybe five. No, it's 10%, the first of the first fruits. Not what's left over, not what you feel like you might be able to do. The first, because this is not about the money. This is about faith. This is a statement of my life that says, God, this is very tangible stuff right here. It makes my heart race, God, just seeing it here. But God, you are first in my life. You are greater than all things in my life. You have the preeminence, the first place. So I give the first, not the last, not if, I bring the first fruit to you. So just as a way of review, just for simplicity's sake this morning, I get $500. How much of this belongs to God? All of it. Good answer. Way to go. Some people say this much. Nope. This all belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. If he, if he blessed you with it, he blessed you with it. Don't start thinking, look what I did. I worked hard. I was creative. I did this. I did it. No, you, did. you just happened to be in the place where he gave it to you. You just happened to be in a moment of grace. You just happened to be in a place where he was good to you. Let's just call it for what it is. It's not you. It's him. It, he, it all belongs to him. If you got it, it came from him. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Amen? It comes from him. It's what all belongs to God. What, how much do I give to God? Well, Old Testament, the law at base was 10%. Just the base. There were other offerings beyond that. In fact, if you get to the New Testament and you read this principle where this all belongs to God and to the degree that you want to experience greater blessing, you actually will give more. Let me just read that verse or two for you from 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. He who sows sparingly, in other words, gives, will also reap or receive sparingly. And he who sows bountifully or gives bountifully much will also reap bountifully. If you want to receive much from God, you'll give much to God. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, not of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God's not wanting you to say, fine, here, just take it. If you're looking for some blessing out of that kind of response, I can already tell you it's not coming because it's not about this. It's about this. It never was about this. It's always been about this. This is a tangible expression of this. This was just a tangible way for people to get it into their minds and their hearts. It all belongs to God. The first part belongs to him. I give it to him as a way of saying you are the preeminent one. Are you with me so far? Amen. Pretty simple stuff. Let's look at a passage of scripture that will help us with this. We are in Malachi chapter 3, the last book in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible and you're turning there, if you're following me in digital Bible, that's fine as well. Starts with M. You can spell it. It's on the screen. It's chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 10, and we're going to see here some beautiful truths about some promises that God makes. And again, I want to challenge you even though this is sitting here, 
even though we've used it as a visual this morning, the tangible is about what we have received in income. The reality is about what happens in our hearts. Stay with me. Verse 10. God has spoken through Malachi. He's writing to a group of people who have forgotten this truth. Their issue is not that they aren't just giving. The issue is that their heart has gone away. God's not first in any part of their life, much less this one. This is a tangible sign of the heart. And it's a tangible sign of whatever is the first will determine the direction of the rest. Let me say it one more time. Whatever is first will determine the direction of the rest. You want to see God in the rest? Then the first is to be given to him. Malachi 3.10, he writes, this is God speaking through him, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. God was saying, you have forgotten something. You have neglected me. You are struggling in life. You're fumbling your way through. You're trying to figure it all out. There's chaos in your homes. There's destruction in the community. Life is not working out. And it's not just because you aren't giving financially. It's because your heart has drifted far from me. So as a tangible expression of your heart coming back to me, God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, that you may return worship to the center of life, that the sacrifices of God might be first in your life, that ministry might be first, that the glory of God might be first, that it not be about you and what you have at your house, but what God is building in his kingdom. This is what God reminded the people. Bring it to me, God says. The second part of verse 10 says this, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, I have some powerful, tangible practice for you here. And where I make a tangible practice, I'll give some tangible blessings. Tangible practice, tangible promises. Here's the first. He says, try me now in this. Just see if this will not be true. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Here's the first promise God makes. When you put first things first, when he becomes the preeminent role in your life, when he has the first place in every part of your life, he says, I will pour out blessings on you. I will. And he gives a very rich description here. He says, I will open for you the windows of heaven. We can all relate with window. We can all relate with opening the window. This window is a window as a portal from heaven to earth. 
This window is a portal from God himself to the people, specifically. It would be a window from heaven to you, is what I'm trying to say. This is not in general. This is not to someone else. This is a promise made to those who would follow this practice. The promise follows the practice. He says, just try this. Put me first and see, just see, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing. I love this phrase here, open for you the windows of heaven. The first time that phrase was used was in the book of Genesis. And it dealt with the time when God opened the windows of heaven and poured out a flood upon the earth. And the whole earth was covered in water because God opened the windows. Now, I've talked with some people who have a hard time believing that God actually flooded the whole earth. They think that it was somehow some local phenomenon. They were just in one little locale. That it was just in one spot. If that's what you believe, it's really going to change the definition of this verse. That he's going to open a window and it go blink. No. He says, I'll open the windows of heaven and I will pour out blessing. I'm going to open the portal and you better watch out. Because when this portal is opened, it will be the windows of heaven and I will pour out blessing. It's a word that means to empty out. It doesn't mean... It means... I mean, it's all poured out. Poured out blessing. Now, let me redirect your thoughts here already this morning because I know you've gone back to this again. You're thinking that I'm talking about this. You're thinking that if I'm saying, if you'll give this, he'll turn this into millions. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what God is saying. I've known people where they gave the 10% faithfully and that happened. It's happened to me and Heather. When we've been faithful to put him first and give, we have seen him bless in unusual ways. To have things all of a sudden show up that we had no clue were going to show up. Checks in the mail, vehicles, blessings like that. It's just like, wow. And it's been a powerful testimony to our kids. But let me say this. I've also known people who have given not just the 10, but the 20, the 30, 40, even 60%. And they did not receive back the same financial blessing. You ever know anyone like that? They gave of their resources. They gave out of the increase. And it actually led them to a place of deep poverty. You say, well, they must have had sin in their heart. No. Are you going to tell me that Jesus had sin in his heart when he gave all that he had and all it led him to was a cross? You see, when this verse says, I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, sometimes that such blessing will look like more of what you gave. 
Sometimes you'll give money and it'll come back as money. But sometimes you'll give money and it'll come back as another blessing. It'll come back as such blessing as it says here. Such blessing that may show up in the form of great peace in your heart that you did what God called you to do and by faith you're trusting him to one day answer what he gave. That is far more greater a blessing than getting 90% back return off of this. You can get all of this you want in this life and that does not equal blessing. Are you with me? You see, God is looking to do something bigger than just give you more money. Sometimes it may look like money that comes back to you, but sometimes it shows up in the form of your children coming to faith in Christ because they watched you be a faithful giver throughout your life. They saw you sacrifice. They saw you serve. They saw you do without. They saw you do what was right in times of need, and they believed, and it became true in their life because they saw you do it. That's blessing. That's such blessing. That's different kind of blessing. I'll take that blessing over more of this blessing any day. Amen? I'll take it in the form of a church who increases its ability to minister in a community. I'll take it in the form of a, a congregation who rises up in the confidence and spirit of Jesus Christ within them who then turn and minister to people beyond them. I'll take all that blessing over more of this blessing any day. Amen? You see, he says, God says, I'll give a blessing. It may not be like you thought, but I'll give blessing. And here's the deal. It will be such blessing that when it comes, you will not have room enough to receive it. You won't. You won't have room in your heart for it. It'll be so grand. You won't have room in your soul for it because it'll be so big. It'll be so overwhelming. And sometimes we get so focused on wondering, God, I gave this. How come I don't get more of this? And he blesses you in so many other ways. And because you're so focused on this, you're missing the true blessings that have come into your life. Sometimes the greater blessings come in simplicity. Sometimes the greater blessings come in contentment. Even in poverty. The greater riches come there. The riches of knowing I believed God and I walked by faith. I trusted him. I obeyed him. I did what he called me to do. And when that happens, God promises always, always to bless in powerful, abundant ways. Promise number two from the passage is this. God says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Second promise that God makes. He says, if you will honor me, not just with this, but with this, he says, I'll do something. First, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and bless you because you are faithful. And God always rushes to those who trust him by faith. The second thing God does is he rushes to be the protector of those who trust him. Mm. He will have your back. He will watch over you. And this verse gives us a powerful description. He says that he will rebuke the devourer. 
Let's get some words defined here. The devourer. You notice this is not capitalized here. This is not necessarily a, a description or a definition of the devil, the enemy. It's a lowercase d. This is death, the devourer, the one who comes to bring decay, destruction, wilting, rust, moths, who eat up and destroy. It's the devourer. And God says, I'll do something if you'll trust me. I'll, I will rebuke the devourer. Hmm, rebuke. That's one of those words we get a little uncomfortable with today. Rebuke where someone comes and confronts someone. Someone comes with a strong corrective word for someone without regard to their feelings, without regard for what they might be offended by in the moment. God says, I'll do something for you. I will be the rebuker. I'll be the one who comes and speaks strongly, confidently, boldly. And I'm going to say it to the devourer, the one who wants to come and destroy all that you have, the one who wants to take from what you have. Some beautiful pictures from Scripture of where God did this. The book of Deuteronomy tells the story of God's people, how they followed him in the desert for some 40 years. And the Bible makes it very clear that while they followed him, they didn't have to go back to DSW to buy more shoes. They didn't have to go to J.C. Penney to get some more clothes because God caused their shoes and their clothes to remain good throughout that whole journey as some durable clothes, as some durable shoes to walk in the desert and not have to be replaced. But you see, again, this promise is not just about this. It's about this. And so God says, if you'll put me first, even in the most tangible way through what you receive, I will do something for you. I will be the one who comes in and rebukes the devourer, death. Let me tell you some places that death likes to walk today. Death likes to walk in relationships today. Death likes to come in and try to destroy some relationships. Death wants to come in and destroy your marriage. Death wants to come in and destroy your thoughts about your spouse. Death wants to come in and make so much conflict happen that you don't even want to be together anymore. That's death at work. That's the devourer at work. Death wants to come up into your mind and your heart and persuade you that life is not even worth living, that there's no hope. This is where death likes to walk today. And God says, if you'll trust me and put me first, this is not about money. If you'll put me first, I will come into your life and I will be the one who rebukes that devourer. When hopelessness tries to show up and control you, God shows up and rebukes that devourer and says, you have no place here because this is my child. You see, he rebukes the devourer. When fear wants to come in and stop you and keep you from trusting God, he comes in and says, I'm going to rebuke that fear. It has no place. You have the spirit of God within you and the power of a sound mind within you. Be gone, fear. This is what God does. He rebukes the devourer. He makes depression leave. He makes discouragement be shut down. He makes guilt flee. He makes shame leave you. 
He makes condemnation have no more power. He makes any kind of comparison and jealousy about others' lives have no strength in your life. He makes rejection leave. He makes insecurity leave. He makes any kind of defeatist thinking run out because he is the one who rebukes the devourer. If you trust him, if you put him first, he'll be the one that establishes your thoughts. He'll be the one that controls your emotions. And he'll bring the fruit of the Spirit right up into your life. He's the one that says to death, you have no authority here. I've already defeated you once. And one day, death, you will have no more sting. You will have no more power at all. God will rebuke the devourer for those who trust him. I love what it says here. He says he'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that you in what you are walking in would know the tangible hand of God chasing him out the door. Amen? First things first. Big promises that God makes. Promise number three, verse 12. God says, and here's what I'll do. He says, all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. He says, when I bless you, when I protect you, it's going to be noticed. Other people are going to see. They're going to see that you don't walk in the same places of fear. They're going to see that you don't walk like they do. They're going to see that you don't walk in hopelessness. They're going to see that you don't walk in this sense of despair. They're going to see that you'll have a light of joy in your eyes. They're going to see that you have faith that God's about to work. They're going to see that you have a confidence about you, and they can't help but recognize there's something different about that person. I don't know what it is, but there's something different. And they will wish inside they had it. And this promise says the nations will recognize this. Not just your neighbor, but nations all around will notice. Your spouse will notice. Your children will notice. Your parents will notice. Your family will notice. Your boss will notice. The community around you will notice. You don't complain like they do. You don't criticize like they do. You don't go where they go. You don't talk like they do. You don't dress like they do. You don't have any of the things that look like them. You look completely different than them because you put first things first and God blesses and they see it. Now, I just want to say one more time, this is not about this. You see, we have a lot of things that come into our lives besides money. Every day you and I have a myriad, that's a lot, of thoughts that come into our mind. Let's just say for a moment, we have 500 thoughts that race through our mind in the first hour of the day. That's not too far-fetched, is it? 500 thoughts that come chasing in, 500 thoughts about what the day is going to be like, 500 thoughts about the people that you're going to encounter, 500 thoughts about what you did yesterday, 500 thoughts about your spouse, 500 thoughts about your kids, and man, they start quick. The minute that alarm goes off, boom, they're off to the races, and here they go. Amen? Everybody with me on this one? We're all there. Yeah, it happens. And God says, here's what you do. I've established a principle for my people. It really has nothing to do with money. It has something to do with everything else in their life. So when 500 thoughts show up, take the first part of those thoughts and say, God, the first part of my thoughts all belong to you. I'm not going to think any of the thoughts, God, until I thought your thoughts first. 
you get the first of the first fruits of all my thoughts. Because where the first ones go is where the rest will follow. And you get your thoughts started in the day with thinking about what God says, what he says you are, what he's called you to, it'll change the rest of the day because what you do with the first fruit will determine what happens with the rest of the fruits. Amen? Let's change the category. Let's change and talk about emotions for just a moment. 500 emotions. emotions. Well, that happens within the first 30 minutes of the day. Take that back. The first three seconds of the day, right? Emotions are all welling up inside your head. Thoughts are going on and emotions are there. All these feelings and thoughts are going on. You've got them all day long. And God says, when you have a rush of emotions, give me the first of them. Let me tell you what to feel. Don't go off of what you feel. I'll tell you how to feel. I'll tell you you're, you should be confident in my strength. I'll tell you you should be at peace in me. I'll tell you how to feel. Let me have the first ones. We could change the category all day long here. Your responses to your spouse. There's 500 of them. Let him choose which ones. Let him have the first ones. 500 words you could say to start your day. Give him the first. 500 ways of responding to a crisis in your life. Let him have the first. Don't let him have the last. Don't run to him if you can't fix it. Give him the first because the first always determines the direction of the rest. There's a family in our church that's um, been here since really the earliest days of vertical. The wife uh, struggled with cystic fibrosis for quite a while. That's a breathing issue, difficult. It put her in the hospital often, once if not two or three times a year, to go in for treatments. Her name is Shelly, Shelly Rozak. Her husband's name is Bob, two daughters, live in Cedar Hill. I tend to hear some, hasn't been able to attend much lately because of increased breathing issues. About two years ago, she decided it was time to do something, something different. Talked to the doctors, and doctors said, we could do a lung transplant. It's risky, but it can give you some additional years. Her and her husband prayed about it, believed it was what they needed to do. Went through the very difficult process of waiting for a donor and waiting for a day, and that day came. She got new lungs, and she began all the difficult treatment of adopting and adapting to new lungs, and she did. You'd see her here sometimes on a Sunday, walking a little slow with oxygen around her nose, and it's been a struggle. Her body went through some rejection of the lungs, made it very difficult. In and out of the hospital, more breathing treatments, difficulty, go home, have the struggle of being able to breathe. It's just very difficult. She went back in these past couple of weeks several times. And this past week, the doctors met with her and they said, Shelly, we don't know what else to do. We can keep trying to give you medication, but we can't, we can't promise you there's going to be anything better. Your other option is to consider calling hospice. That's abrupt. Her daughter's supposed to get married in two weeks. How do you do that? 
I got a call from Bob this week. He said, hey, Brian, we, um, we've prayed and we've thought and we've talked about this thing a lot. We think we're going to choose the hospice option. This is not defeat for us. This is confident faith. Mm. That's all right. I'm going to come down and see you. So call Brad. Brad and I went down early this week. Saw him. It was, was going to be the last day at UT Southwestern. They were going to dismiss her that afternoon to go to the hospice center. So I've got these pictures in my mind of what this moment's going to be like as I'm approaching the door. And I'm expecting someone, you know, barely functioning. Open the door, walk in. She's sitting up in the bed, talking, laughing, confident, clear communication. Husband's there. Brad talked with her. I mean, with him, I talk with her. And we start talking about the journey. I've known them for a while, so I've known where God has worked in their lives, some incredible things he's done. And she had nothing but worship in her heart for what God had done. Gratefulness for how he'd worked. And you'd think this would be one of those moments where someone would just be in the pits of despair, depression, loss. That's what I was expecting. She was not any of that. I was stunned. And she says, we've chosen this by faith. Really? Tell me about that. And she told me how they had prayed, and this had become their decision. And she says, you know what? When I thought about not doing this, all of my future thoughts were filled with panic and fear and despair. But when I made this choice, all of a sudden, peace filled my heart. I'm just, I'm sitting here talking to this lady. It was just stunning. And I thought, what an incredible picture. She was putting Christ first. God, what do you want in this situation? What do you have for me? Whatever you have for me is what I will do. And because she acted on that, she put him first. He directed the rest of her thoughts. Now, what happened next was this. Brad and I are there talking. We find out that they're, they're coming to take her to the hospice center in an hour. And so doctors and nurses are coming in. We can't even get a long conversation going because they keep coming in and interrupting. And every one of them, doctors, nurses, assistants, every one of them come in and say, Shelly, you have been such a testimony of strength. You've been such a testimony of God's power, faith. We're just in awe and we're so grateful for you and pray for you. They were all in awe. They referred to her as a delight to have in the hospital. And I couldn't help but think, when you put first things first, all the nations will come and they were coming in that room and they were calling her blessed and they were calling her a delight. Whoo! We got to see all of that. It was overwhelming. We closed that time by praying. It was beautiful. She told me some things that she wanted to see happen in the days ahead. I got a call two days later and Bob said, hey, Brian, you might want to come down here. We're at the hospice center. 
So things have taken a turn. Okay. We go down there, very different situation. Eyes are closed, unconscious, barely, barely breathing. But her family is gathered all around her. They're holding her hands. They're singing. We're praying. And they are calling her a delight. Woo! They're all surrounding her. It's a beautiful moment. I had Brandon with me that day because Brandon knew the daughters. And we prayed and left that time. Woo! And I got a text from Bob yesterday morning. He said, Shelly's entered into the presence of Jesus. She's gone home to be with her Lord. Now, you might look at this story and think, wow, that's terrible. It's tragic. It's awful. You might, but I'd also say it's, it's incredibly beautiful. And God kept his promise. You think, well, she died, though. I thought he rebuked the devourer. Oh, he did. He rebuked depression and despair and bitterness and resentment and anger. They were nowhere in that room. There was only worship in that room. He rebuked them out of that whole building. They had no place. And I'm confident that when she breathed her last here, she breathed anew in heaven. And her father said, enter into the joy of your Lord. You are my delight. Woo, yes. Mm. You see, this truth has so little to do with this <laughs> and so much to do with this. And God says, if you'll put me first, if you'll, if you'll give me the preeminent spot, I will pour out blessings on you. They'll be different than what you thought. I'll rebuke the devourer in ways you can't even imagine. And others will see and call you blessed. Would you bow your heads with me? The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout this room this morning looking for those whose hearts will be faithful to him and say, God, I've put so many other things first. I put my, my thoughts first, my energy first, my emotion first, my job first, my way first. But God, I've been such a fool. Today, I give you first. I surrender it all. It's yours. You first. You first. You first in my thoughts. You first in my marriage. You first in my parenting. You first in my emotions. You first in my time. You first in my pursuits. You first in my free time. You first in my all time. Father, this morning we come to do the only thing that we can do in response to your goodness is to give to you, to give to you everything, to give our hearts, our worship, our lives. And when you call us to give in tangible ways, we'll do that too. As just a tangible way of saying, you first. 
we're grateful today, God. And we pray in Jesus' name, who was the first and is the first. Amen.